In the name of God, who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. As much as I love the water, I have to confess that I have never really done a lot of fishing. My dad used to take me out occasionally when I was a kid, and I remember buying all of the stuff with him, going to the big store and buying all the different kinds of bait and the little red and white box and the weights and the floats. And we'd get in his truck and truck out to what felt like the middle of nowhere to look for trout in Pennsylvania rivers. And occasionally we'd catch something and then we would always throw it back. <laughs> My mom, after all, was not going to be happy if we brought home trout for her to clean. That just wasn't gonna work. So when we occasionally caught something, we always threw it back. And when I was little, I remember asking my dad at some point what the point of this was. You know, if we're not going to catch it and take it home and eat it, if we're just going to throw it back, you know, what is the point of coming all the way out here and of, you know, catching these fish and, and maybe hurting them and sort of releasing them and hoping them that they're okay? And he said, well, it's that we're here, sitting together, watching the water go by. And there was some truth in that. Those are some very happy memories for me. But fishing was never really what we were there for. And it was never really a part of my childhood. Even as I got older and, and would try fishing again later at the beach or something, I would always feel guilty about the fish and about hurting the fish as I took the hook out of its throat. So why this foray into my history with fishing? Well, our texts this morning have something to do with water with fish and with fishing. In Hebrew scriptures, we have a piece of the story of Jonah. And I should confess first and foremost that I love this story. In fact, I actually have a Bible study laid out for us in my head. I just need to find the right place on the calendar to put it because this book, as wild and unlikely as it may seem to you, this story is about a servant of God, a servant, a prophet who's reluctant and swallowed by a big fish, right? Are you remembering this from Sunday school? And the story has a lot to say to us about God's love and about God's relentless pursuit of us, of the lengths that God is willing to go to get our attention, to incorporate you in the plan for the salvation of the world and how much God loves you and wants you to know it. It's a great story. But for today, the piece of the story that we have kind of centers on God's message, the news of God brought to the people of Nineveh by Jonah. And God is upset about the life of the people of Nineveh. They have forgotten how to live within God's life. They have forgotten how to love each other and how to live together well. And so God wants to send Jonah to warn them, to tell them that their mistakes their lack of faith, their lack of love has consequences. And the truth is that in this message, it doesn't sound like there's really any hope. I mean, really, if we look at the message Jonah is supposed to deliver, there's not a lot of wiggle room and there's really no promise of hope. It doesn't seem like changing will yield a different response from God. It's not like God has said, hey, Nineveh, if you stop what you're doing, then things will be different or stop what you're doing or else even would have worked. <laughs> Instead, it just seems that God has sent Jonah to pronounce judgment, to pronounce punishment. And I, I think that's a crucial piece of this story. It sounds like judgment and it sounds like a proclamation of punishment. And yet there's more. <laughs> 
So Jonah goes and he says, 40 days more and Nineveh will be overthrown. No ifs, no ands, no buts. That's just the story. No way around it. 40 days more and Nineveh will be overthrown. So the news from God sounds bad, at least as it's presented by God's servant, doesn't it? It sounds bad. But for some reason, that jolt, that call to accountability, that call to responsibility, strikes at the heart of the people of Nineveh. It wakes them up. It causes them to change. And the passage ends with a complete reversal that seems impossible if we just look at God's message from the beginning. Because you see, the people of Nineveh proclaim a fast, a traditional way of praying and making sacrifice to the Lord, of humbling themselves before God and reminding themselves of their humanity, right? This is why we fast. Whether it's in Lent or in another penitential season, fasting reminds us that we are dependent on God. It reminds us of our blessings and it allows us to humble our hearts, being aware of the needs of our bodies. And so all the people in Nineveh, great and small, begin to fast and they put on sackcloth, which is another sign of repentance that we often hear about in the season of Lent. It's a sign of their willingness to change, their acknowledgement of their sin, their desire to name the fact that they are lowly before the Lord. It sounds sort of difficult, and yet it's a beautiful sign of the people of Nineveh's faith, of their heart, of their desire to come back to God. And we see this in the text. The people take Jonah seriously. They hear God's message in Jonah's words. They hear that they have sinned and gone astray. They hear that they are being called to a different kind of life. And they, they don't try to run away. They don't try to dodge it. They don't blame it on someone else or say that it's Jonah's fault or, gosh, we didn't want to hear that message, so we're just done with God. They don't shirk their responsibility. Instead, for some reason, this message, this news that they hear from Jonah sinks into their heads and they take responsibility. They take an honest look at themselves and they repent. They show God that they are sorry and they change the way they're living, even though in that message from God, it sounded like there was no reason to do so. They did it simply because they felt called to do it, because their hearts were moved and because they remembered their love for the God who loved them. Now, there's more to the story of Jonah that happens after this, but there's two remarkable pieces to this passage today that we have to take note of. First, that the people hear and repent with no promise of what's to come. And second, that God forgives freely and without question. And the news, the destruction that God promised is wiped away completely. It goes away entirely. And Nineveh and all of her people are spared. In the gospel, we have another water story. Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee and he sees Simon and Andrew and James and John, who are fishermen. They make their life on the water, casting their nets into the sea and selling their fish when they bring them back to shore. These guys definitely don't throw their fish back <laughs> and they definitely don't just let the water go by because this is how they make their living. And Jesus calls them in the midst of their work and says, follow me. And immediately they leave their boats and their nets and their mending. And they do that. They follow him. They don't know yet, but they are going to be sent with messages like Jonah. They will eventually be the bearers of God's news. 
But first, they will have to learn that message from Jesus himself. And maybe that's what they heard as Jesus called to them on the shore that day. Maybe it was the same tone and the same timber as the news that Jonah shared, a sincere call to come away from the ways of the world, to live differently, to know God's forgiveness, to be connected to the things that really fulfill them and to acknowledge their and our place in the world, their and our relationship with God. Maybe what they heard was hope, even though it wasn't explicit, because they knew God's love. Now, these disciples, as they leave their nets and go to follow Jesus, they have no idea what is coming their way. They leave a life behind them that they knew well, patterns that they understood, family and friends who knew them and loved them. And they do all of this for a change of life. They take a risk. And they did it, I have to believe, because they heard this truth in the message, in Jesus's voice. They heard this sort of timber of fulfillment and of change and of possibility, even though it maybe didn't sound like that at first. Now, some pieces of the news that they would be called to share would look like the call to the people of Nineveh. Sometimes the call to renewal is buried under the call to accountability, to responsibility, to connection, And what these disciples would soon learn is that they would have the chance, for better or for worse, to share this news too, to call other people back to fullness of life, even as they learn to discover their own by following Jesus. So this morning, the text offers us quite a few pieces of truth, and I think it asks us a few specific questions. First, what message is God trying to send us? What message is God trying to send us? What is God trying to say to us about this time and this moment that we live in, about our relationships with each other, about our accountability, about the way that we treat each other and about the way we care for the spiritual community that we love? What do we need to change in order to hear that message in order to believe the good news that is beyond the message that may not seem as comforting at first as we would like? What do we need to do? How differently do we need to live in order to be the inheritors of God's grace and God's forgiveness? Surely God hasn't sent the same message to us as as was sent to Nineveh through Jonah, but it's fair to say that we have experienced in this last nearly calendar year quite a few things that should call us to change. We haven't been destroyed by any stretch, but each one of us and together as a collective community, we are grieving the losses of many, many things. And our life in so many ways looks different. So where are the places that God is calling us to fulfillment and to newness of life? And what do we have to change? What piece of our relationship with God do we have to acknowledge? What sacrifice do we have to make in order for that to be true for us? and for our neighbors. And here's the second string of questions. (laughs) What do we have to put down or put on in order to have that new life, in order to have that change, to have the slate wiped clean, to know God's grace and forgiveness? What do we have to put down or put on? The disciples had to put down their nets and leave life as they knew it behind. The people of Nineveh fasted and put on sackcloth to mark their change and to remind themselves of their dependence on God. 
What do we have to put down? What expectations, what practices, what ideas, what patterns or addictions, what grudges or prejudices do we need to put aside in order to both hear God's good news and then be the people who share it? My friends, we are not called to just sit by the shore and watch the water go by. To us too, Jesus calls in the midst of our everyday life saying, follow me, asking us to put down whatever nets we carry, whatever pieces of life hold us back and to go, to take this risk, to make the change, to acknowledge that Jesus is the center of our lives and to hope in God's good news. We have been given gifts that are intended to be used for the growing of the kingdom, to fish for people, to not just hear the message, but to share it, to not just let the work go by us, but to be a part of it. God's good news, God's message, even when it doesn't look like it at first, is always about love and hope and mercy and renewal for ourselves and for each other. How do you need to reposition your heart to take that message in? And what do you need to put down or put on or change or acknowledge within yourself in order to be brave enough to share that message with others? Amen.